Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. Today we have a bonus episode for you. This episode was recorded in person at our 2021 Quad Cities Conference, where I talked to keynote speaker Jen Lim. Jen, you may remember, is the CEO of Delivering Happiness, a company co-founded to create happier company cultures for a more profitable and sustainable approach to business. Her mission is both simple and profound, to teach businesses how to create workplaces led with happiness and humanity that generate more profit, sustain all people at every level of the organization, and share how we can make an impact by being true to our authentic selves. Jen Lim, thank you for being with us today on the Own It podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Well, and in person, in 3D. I know. This is so bizarre. (laughs) It really really is. And in full disclosure, Jen and I just left a full room uh, which was again felt very strange, didn't yeah, it? It was, yeah. It's just I think I think guess like, people are just adjusting and they're getting back used to having a, someone like sitting right next to you. Like, whoa, what a trip! I know. And you make a funny joke about wearing pants today, or like, oh yeah, leaving yeah. sweats at home. Uh, so I was so grateful. Thank you for this invite because <laughs> I finally got to real, uh, wear real pants. So it's the little yeah. things yeah it is it really is and everyone got a taste of that of like realizing what the little things are that are so important so yeah like so real pants what's it been like so you've been you've been back out there you're traveling again with this incredible book beyond happiness which we'll oh, talk about in just a little bit thank what's you. it been like yeah you know it's been i guess especially after this experience and uh, the last experience i was out um it almost feels back to normal but then when you get into different spaces depending on who it is, what organization, some, um, like that one last time, they were just so happy to see each other. And people were just asking them, like random people, like, can I just get a hug? You know, and I think <laughs> like they, they just met or something like that. Or I don't know, and people were, were, when we were having conversations after I was doing a book signing there, uh, like different ages, like there was one Gen Zers that came up to, she's like, I don't know why I'm crying right now, but you know, she asked for a hug and then to a gentleman, who could have been my dad, like, he just had tears streaming down his face because he said, oh, you know, I had a lot of loss. I lost six people in one year. Wow. And, you know, I t- touched about these topics in my keynote and, and I talked about it in the book, but I think it's been this whole spectrum of people adjusting like, whoa, this feels weird, to, oh, I just need a hug or I need to connect. And mm-hmm. in such a sincere way, because I think that's where people are right now, of needing that space and wanting that connection. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm, I'm so glad to be back in person with you, too. Um, and you have such a story. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey and what you led, led you to this spot? Yeah, geez. Uh, what is, well, where can I start? So basically, you know, I, I graduated from UC Berkeley, and I uh, was supposed to be a doctor. Obviously, missed <laughs> that Supposed path. to be. So why do you yeah. say supposed to be? Well, I mean, uh, not just Asian-American parents, but a lot of immigrant parents, I think, they're, you know, like, they work so hard to get food on the table. And so now, you know, their kids are supposed to do something to be prestigious or make a lot of money. <laughs> got it. Got it. And okay. I, you know, decided not to go that route. And I really, like, freaked out my parents. And they said, you know, when I told them, I picked up the phone and called them, uh, Cal, to let them know I'm not majoring in, 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 in medicine and majoring in Asian American studies instead. And they just said, what? What is Asian American studies? They're like, just come home more often. We'll tell you what your Asian American studies is all about. Mm-hmm. And it was my first act of defiance. I remember it was my first uh, real claim to who I was authentically. Graduated, 
my turn of freaking out. I couldn't find a job. Luckily for me, Silicon Valley was born. The internet was born. Um, and I got a job as an internet consultant at KPMG. And all of a sudden I thought it was easy, you know, money, title, status, dot com, boom. I was one of the, the product of that kind of generation. Uh, but we also know what happened. The dot com busted and I lost it all. And in just one year, I lost not just my money, title, status because I got laid off. 9-11 happened. And then I also found out my dad had stage three colon cancer. Mm. So that was such a pivotal time in my life. I was my late 20s. Um, and I don't know, some people believe in this, they call it the return of Saturn, but essentially in all of our late twenties, some, all of us experienced some sort of fundamental shift and that was mine. So I decided not go back to the corporate world and I became an independent consultant and I didn't know what I wanted in my life, but I know I was going to live by different values of not the money tile status. I was living, going to live by people in my life, prioritize them. I was going to live by my sense of control. I didn't want to get fired again, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, and I, I wanted to live um, with freedom. So that's how I started consulting at Zappos, how Tony and I became pretty you know, best buds. And as the Tony, Zappos, t- t- people oh, sorry, Tony Shea, uh, the late Tony Shea and uh, the previous CEO of, of Zappos. Got it. Okay. Sorry. Thank you for that clarification. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Zappos grew. I grew with it and eventually started doing their culture books, you know, when culture wasn't a big buzzword yet. It was an exciting time. And fast forward to 2010, he asked if I wanted to work on Delivering Happiness, the book together. I said, yeah, why not? You know, thought it was a project to check off all the things to do. And lo and behold, you know, there was a demand for happiness in our workplace and just in our lives. Well, we co-founded the company at that time. I became CEO and started, you know, been running it ever since and now helping other companies, not just Zappos, basically figure out how to apply these very practical concepts of scientific happiness into their workplace so that they're more profitable, but they're also growing with more purpose and more impact in the world. You have real data here that shows happiness matters. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we suspected, but it's so nice to be able to back that up. It is, it is, and it's and a lot of the time it has to be the case because otherwise there's always going to be a naysayer in a company. There's always going to be a naysayer in a team that thinks, well, happiness doesn't matter. You know, it, this is, does not belong in the workplace. But we've so, shown time and time again when you do focus on happiness, more productive and engaged employees. You'll see the results in your retention rates, and you're, you'll see it in your, you know, the, the people you attract. You'll see it in less burnout because they know this is just, you know, a wave that you're experiencing. But we're all in this together. And if you actually do the math, for example, the more you retain people, for every person you lose, uh, you lose 1.5 to two times, and sometimes three times of their salary if they're executive. And you do that every time someone, you know, uh, has a, is there, there's turnover. So if you do the math, how you know, how many employees that you have, that for especially huge companies can amount to something very quickly in the millions of dollars. And on the flip side, you see salespeople when they're happy, they sell more. And because, because you see the customers, they can see and feel that they're exuding, you know, happy, engaged people. So they, we've seen stats from two to three times of their sales goals because they have a more engaging and uh, supportive workplace. And I have to think that the timing of the release of your book is just really serendipitous because a lot of people are returning to the office. Yeah. Uh, they're returning to, you know, maybe a culture that is radically different. Companies trying to keep cultures together as they're keeping some people at home and some people in the office. 
I have to feel that happiness plays an even bigger role yeah. today. I would say, yeah, and, and I have no, I had no idea with the timing of this book. It's either. incredible. It's yeah, so, it's very so serendipitous. Very, yeah, very serendipitous and very strange that, you know, I had to write this uh, year, year and a half ago now, and and seeing the waves and droves of people quitting their jobs, like mm-hmm. just this morning, I read more than four million in August alone quit their jobs, and a lot of them don't even have you know a second choice or a place to go, but. What I think is promising and uplifting about that is that people are making their own choices for themselves. So in some ways, we thought that you know corporations were going to get most of the power once we get out of this recession, or we're, you know we're still in it. But the reality is, people are standing up for who they are and what they believe in, whether it's needing more flexible hours, or you know time to take care of the kids, or a higher-paying job, you know whatever that might be. I'm loving the fact that there's a bit of more equanimity. Uh, across not just big corps and, and CEOs and boardrooms, but also us as individuals to make our choices the way we want to. So who's doing this well? And if they are doing it well, what are they doing? Yeah, so one that really stands out is just like uh, one of our clients uh, that I worked with for almost four years. And it's you might have heard of it before. It's a tiny little coffee shop in, in Seattle called Starbucks. Oh, that little one. Yeah. <laughs> that little one that's yep. on every corner. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that one. So I had this, um, yeah, really exciting opportunity to work with them and in, in, in their innovation and brand and the, for a culture uh, team. And so what we saw was like, because Howard had been there, Howard Schultz, the CEO, 50 years, new leadership came in, new CEO. And they said, you know what, what are we going to do as a company to endure for the next 50 years? So there was this huge, big plan doing this vision for themselves. Then, of course, COVID hit. So it was total triage. And then here's like this retail store. So, you know, they had to close them all down. They were hemorrhaging the, in revenue. And what was really miraculous to see is that they took a look and reflected within themselves as leaders across the whole leadership team. And you can imagine there's a lot of background of politics in, in big leadership teams. And they said, let's look at our mission statement one more time. Are we actually living by that in the middle of the chaos? And their mission statement being inspiring and nurturing the human spirit, one, one cup, one, one person, one neighborhood at a time. And I just saw amazing change in that reflection of like, this is not for us. This is not for our shareholders. We're not going to be proud of ourselves if everyone's gone and the client and the planet's gone and we're sitting around and said, but our stock price is really good, wasn't it? So they took that upon themselves and made that alignment across in a very difficult time and decided to reinvest and they launched huge programs and I can't really say uh, exactly how much but huge amount of money to reinvest in their people and planet Mm -hmm. and that's when they launched we're not just profit driven anymore we're going to be people positive and planet positive and created programs around that and actually you know drew the line in the sand this is what we're going to do differently putting money where their mouth is so I think that's one a shiny example of you know during a chaotic time Mm -hmm. and my true belief uh, is that you know true character of company or people show in extreme cases and environments and I believe that of companies and I think Starbucks really um, you know proved that they still believe in what they stood for yeah so the mission mission statement didn't really change it was an opportunity to say hey are we still true to that yes and they found out we need to be better it's it's a revisiting and I think 
other companies that have done that during COVID, are those the ones that are actually adapting and getting back to a better place quicker than other companies that are a bit struggling because they're you know, not re- remembering and realizing, wait, why are we doing this again? And also realizing people are our assets and we need to bring them along as a part of a ride in a very, very different time. It's interesting. We used to think of happiness as, you know, the ping pong table at work or the cereal at the mm-hmm. counter. It sounds like we're much deeper than that now, mm-hmm. post-COVID, that we really do. Mission matters and purpose matters. Are, mm-hmm. are you finding that and connecting that with people being happy at work? They, they need to feel purpose? Yeah, that's hugely it. And okay. that's actually part of the, the su- su- surveys they've done the, of these people that are leaving and quitting their jobs. Partially, some is like flexibility, some is pay, but a big majority of it is also this purpose thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone had at least eighteen months, you know, of sitting in their, <laughs> in their in their closets as conference rooms, you know, in Zoom land and reflecting what really means the most, and that we've never seen before. You know, that was like a reset on humanity for all of us to reflect. So I think you know, trying not to let a good pandemic go to waste, mm-hmm. we brought upon ourselves this. Do new, deeper level of thinking. And that's why I think it's so promising that people are demanding this. And I think employers are seeing it. That's why people are leaving in droves. And I think the key to that, and this is something I talk about in the book, is to not just treat them as skill sets or a role, you know, or their responsibilities. It's like treat them as a whole human being. And when they recognize that, you'll have a dedicated person for probably however long you want them to be. And when, my, when I mean whole, I mean not just, again, skills, but where are they mentally? Where are they emotionally? Where are they physically, you know, in this hybrid world? Uh, where are they relation, re, relationally with their relationships? Where are they financially, et cetera? And also where are they spiritually with their purpose? And it's not that, you know, us as managers or, or uh, senior execs have to fix everything. You know, I, I, what I say is just be the mirror, not the mechanic. Mirror for yourself number one, and then mirror for others and saying, let's, let's go deeply. Let's talk real talk. Mm. And we know this is happening in the world. I want to be there for you. And I hope you want to be here for me too. Mm. So that's where I think let's, you know, let's take this week the most of this time because we are there. It's interesting because I was just listening to Sandra Quince um, from Bank of America. Now she's the the CEO on loan for Paradigm for Parity, and she was mm. talking about how people are leaving their jobs now if they don't like it within 90 days. I mean, yeah. they're there, and if they're not comfortable, if they don't fit the culture, they leave because mm-hmm. there are so many opportunities out there right now. And mm-hmm. it seems that like the best companies are recognizing that we don't leave home at home anymore, that yeah. we're being invited and encouraged to bring our whole selves right. to work. And the best companies are keeping people That's that right. do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that recognition is so that from a leadership level, when you recognize that and you actually implement it in a genuine, authentic way, instead of saying, you know, checking off culture, we're, we're all about mm-hmm. it here. People feel it. They and totally see through the ping pong table. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you yeah. got to be a Perks little more than good. that. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't enjoy a perk or two? So was it hard to write about happiness in the in the depths of a pandemic? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's literally one of the hardest things I've ever done. I, I write wow. about this in the book, and um, one of the other hard things I, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with Tony like years ago. And that was pretty tough, you know, because I was f- physical, it was mental, it was emotional too. But this um, was that made it feel Kilimanjaro like a little hillside. Wow, it was just everything was going on 
on, you know, like when I set out to write the book, this is pre-pandemic, pre-recession, pre-social unrest, and of course, pre-Tony's passing. The book was due five weeks after he passed. And talk about unexpected events in life. And I don't want to, you know, this is not a violin story. I know everyone had something happen to them, if not many things, of loss, of grief, of joys, too, of, you know, rediscovering the little things that matter. But, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I had to rewrite it every time something new in the news popped up. And then, of course, the passing. Then I was just like, wait, this book, I can't write about happiness. And I didn't have a title yet. Um, it's just happiness seemed too small. Hmm. And as it evolved you know, over the course of the year, I realized there was something more to it. And it's not just our highs. It's also recognizing and being still with our lows. It's not celebrating our joys, but also understanding our grief. And that was never even ever more relevant and experiential for me till Tony passed Mm -hmm. of being able to understand our highs is understanding our lows. So that's why I eventually came up with the title Beyond Happiness of recognizing that, you know, it's not rainbows and unicorns, that kind of happiness. There's something that's more whole to all of us. And we're hearing it, you know, we're hearing it more and more, whether it's someone Biles saying, no, I'm not going to do this because I have to look out for myself. So I have a metaphor in the book of we as leaders, you know, we as women, we want to grow and nurture others' greenhouses all the time. But we have to remember to nurture our own, too. Mm -hmm. It's that whole oxygen mask thing, you know, in the airplane. Mm -hmm. And maybe we don't hear it as much anymore because we stopped flying for so long. (laughs) But now we're hearing it again. And I couldn't underscore enough how so important now more than ever you know to nurture that greenhouse of ours before we grow out and try and grow others there a quote from you said we also learn what makes us happy from our lows which mm-hmm. touches upon what you just said you've got to you got to be there too to understand mm-hmm. how what matters and that's fascinating that's exactly it. talk about this adaptive age mm-hmm. you call this the adaptive age we're in yeah. right now can you just explain that a little bit for yeah so i was you know i've been doing this being playing the happiness space for you know so long now um i really wanted to understand why is it that workplaces around the world 85 percent of people are disengaged and that's been happening for so long now so to me that's just like a astounding fact like we know the data tells us companies that double down on their people like in the fortune 100's best places to work they outperform the s&p 500 every year for the last 15 years so if that's what the data is telling us why are we still fundamentally unhappy so i started looking at how we evolved as human beings and so you know as farmers as the agrarian age we evolved to the industrial age uh, invention of steam and coal i became capitalist and then of course we have technology and the internet and then now we have you know information age and then so now i was just trying, trying to think about and this is pre-covid what kind of age are we in today and so that's when I started looking into nature. I started looking into Darwinism and why is it that nature always wins? It's because they adapt and it's not the strongest or smartest that survive. This is a Darwinian thought. It's those species that are most willing and able to adapt. So I was like, you know, that dawned on me. That's where we are right now. We as human beings can learn from nature. If we want to survive, if not thrive, we need to adapt. So that's why I'm calling this the adaptive age. Jen, I, I, that's profound, mind-blowing. I mean, it, it's so spot on. Mm. 
thanks yeah i took me years to try to figure it out wow. <laughs> of what, what where we are now and, and being able to separate what we control control and not control and that's where we adapt is like accept and, and change what we can and that's that's internal to us like which is grounding ourselves in purpose and our values grounding in ourselves in the people we love and places we want to work and then accepting and embracing the things we cannot adapting to things we cannot change mm-hmm. so that's the whole premise of adaptive age I think it's fascinating, and I have two daughters, and I watched my youngest adapt in a way where she was managing her expectations. She mm. got to almost where I would see she she didn't want to get too excited about things mm. because she didn't want to be disappointed. Yeah, you know, she had her senior year in high school just pretty much you know canceled because of the pandemic. So it was just one of those things that I saw just happening environmentally, culturally, and I'm wondering if this whole adaptive age, if we don't even realize it, but our young people, mm-hmm. this is their paradigm. Mm-hmm. You wonder how this is going to show up. Yeah, you know, down down the road. I mean, we, right. we've been hearing conversations in our schools about you know the the subject matter is is so important, but because things change so fast, it's almost like it's as critical or more to teach kids how to think and how to adapt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's yeah, you know, where we are. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I mean, you mentioned about your daughter because I, I had a term when I was uh, my first job in out of school was expectation management. Oh, and I used that for for our clients. Right. Is basically make sure that they're expecting low so you can, you know, <laughs> manage. Right. Their expect- but I believed that for, you know, ap- application of life for a long time. And now I think it has expanded so much. And we have seen, and this is in studies, uh, and we typically think of young people as like, you know, carefree and and irresponsible and all that. But the reality is it's totally opposite. We see Gen Zers actually even more responsible and because they've had all these different factors that they had to survive mm-hmm. and realize like, Oh, maybe I need. I do have to get more than one job, and so they're holding all these different roles and hats and jobs, and and at the same time, on the promising side of that, though, it's really opening up their opportunities of who they can be, and that's what I love about this this current time. Whereas before, it was more structured into you know your path, your lane, and stick to that lane. Be a doctor, exactly. Mm-hmm, to your and point. then and then you know, decades down the line, we're like, wait, that wasn't supposed to be me, but now see the seeing these young you know this younger generation they it's an expectation mm-hmm. you know it's expectation that if you don't accept my all of those different hats that i want to wear as an employer i'm not going to work here and it's pretty lovely to see because like that's all we really want right we want people that we, we want people to be themselves authentically true and to our weird selves as we sometimes say and be able to live out that sense of, of authenticity in their passions, in their purpose, in, in how they spend their time. And I love that th- this generation is just so much more intelligent that way. I call it adaptive int- intelligence in the book. And I think we can learn from that. And I think we are, given you know all the things that have happened in 18 plus, 18 plus months. I think so too. My older daughter, who's in the workforce, she took a, a survey, a career survey, and it, was, it kind of ranked what was most important to her. And she's 22 years old. Mm. And what was most important to her in a workplace was environment. Mm. Environment. It wasn't things that I would say, yeah. you know, were benefits and, and salary. And, you know, she was all about where it was, mm. what the culture was like. Yeah. You know, that stuff mattered to her. Yeah, more and more so. Yeah, I think people would be surprised. Um, there's been just so many studies, like if you don't have a purpose-driven dri- workplace, uh, they're not going to join or they're not going to stay around. So 
Well, it's an exciting time. It is an exciting time. Jen Lim, we wish you the best of luck on this book. It's Thank just you. fascinating. And it is a it is a paradigm shift. I mean, talking about the adaptive age, I think that's really mind-blowing and important for any any organization that wants to make sure that it's relevant and successful. Thank you so much. Going forward. Thanks Thanks. so much. Be well. You too, Tiffany. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Women Lead Change has been busy getting ready for our 15th anniversary this year. It's been 15 years of our mission-driven work to advance women leaders at all levels. We look forward to being back in person at the ICR Iowa Conference on April 26th and 27th for the first time in three years in person. Tickets are available at wlcglobal.org. Our all-access events continue this month with our first virtual Women Connect Workshop of the Year on February 24th with Debbie Peterson on the Roadmap to Your Career. The Advocates and Allies Virtual Speaker Series kicks off on March 3rd. That's featuring subject matter experts and authors on all things workplace culture. You can register for both of these events at wlcglobal.org. Season three of Own It from Women Lead Change will be coming your way with the first episode dropping on April 8th. This season, I chat with guests from the Midwest who are doing great things in both their personal and professional lives. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much.